Well, praise the Lord. We are continuing our series on heaven. Now, how many have learned things about heaven that you didn't already know? I've learned as I've studied. I've learned some more. Now, we've had these things we've talked about so far in the previous lessons, that heaven's a real physical place. We realize how to get there, what is there when we are there. We realize that heaven is obviously permanent, and we recognize who will be there with us. We also realize that when you die instantly upon your death, you wind up in God's presence. You are escorted by angels, and you are greeted when you arrive. Our bodies will be perfect, immortal, incorruptible. We will also eat while we are in heaven, and we will have some form of these bodies that other people recognize. And last week, we talked about the rewards that you get when you arrive for things that are done here. So today, we're going to drill down into something that I've mentioned earlier on. Now, we talked about heaven being a real place. It's a real tangible place, and we're going to talk about the city of Jerusalem. The Bible calls itself a, or heaven a country, it calls it a city. So we're going to look about what the Bible says about that city. Now, when I say the word city to you, what comes to your mind? Big buildings. buildings. Skycrapers, right? Do you think of small town or do you think of big cities? Inner city. Do you think York? Do you think of York when you think of city? I'm from Pittsburgh, so I think of Pittsburgh when I think of city. How about crowded? Traffic jam, cabs, maybe New York or L.A., skyscrapers. I looked this up. The first great city, according to historians, was a place called, if I can can pronounce right, Katalhoyuk. That was in Turkey. It had about 3,000 people in 6,500 B.C., and that's about 4,000 years before Abraham. Now, a lot of cities claim to be the largest if I were to ask you today, who do you, what city do you think is the largest, what would you say? In the world, what was the largest city? I thought that. It's actually Tokyo. 38 million people live in Tokyo. Can you imagine what future cities will be like? There was an article I came across in Business Insider. I'm not sure when it was written, but I, can't, I don't think it was probably written a few years ago because... In this article, it says that in the future, people will be able to walk into their houses and say, turn up the thermostat and turn on the lights. We have that now, right? Hey, Google, Alexa. How many are Star Trek fans, the original series? In the show, you know that the doors open automatically. Well, in the 60s, that technology did not exist. And the studio would get calls from companies wanting to know how they did it. They want that technology for their their business. And they had to tell them, no, it's just some guy in the back pulling the doors open. Well, now that's everywhere you go. They had that technology. uh, There's a few musicals that I like. How many of you enjoy musicals? Older ones. Rodgers and Hammerstein, that kind of thing. How many know the musical Oklahoma? Love that musical. There's a song in the musical called Everything's Up to Date in Kansas City. How many know the song? And I I don't know why this came to my mind as I was putting this together, but there's one verse in that. It goes like this. Everything's up to date in Kansas City. They've gone about as far as they can go. Now, this is set in the Old West. They went and built a skyscraper seven stories high, about as high as a building ought to grow. I think seven stories is small now. Every year we see advances in things that boggle our mind. 
Tokyo is planning to build a building that will go one mile high. Wow. And these are things that we are able to accomplish as human beings. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Well, we don't have to imagine. I'm going to give you some examples today. Every skyscraper and building that we have, even if they're going to be a mile high, what's going to happen to them? They're going to come crashing down and burn, right? 2 Peter 3, 7 says, And God has commanded that the heavens and the earth be consumed by fire on that day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. And once that happens, God recreates it, builds a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter 3, 12 You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world where everything is right with God. So if the Bible calls heaven a city, what are some characteristics of a city? Hebrews 12.22 says, You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Now in the best verse we have for description of heaven is Revelation 21.10 says, And he carried me away in spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So let's start with verse 15. It says, The angel who talked to me held me in his hand, held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, it was the form of a cube, for its length and width and height were 1,500 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick. And it says the angel used a standard human measure. Now, when I said that Tokyo is going to build a building one mile high, everyone went, oh. Can you imagine a building that is 1,600 miles high or 1,500 miles high? Let's get a, a grasp on that. The distance from the center of Maine to Orlando, Florida is about 1,600 miles. From the Atlantic coast to Colorado is about 1,500 miles. And it's a cube. So it's going to be, this is just a city. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Square miles, that's 1.96 million. And I didn't even do the math for cubic miles or cubic miles. It will be 15,000 times bigger than London, 20 times bigger than the country of New Zealand, and 10 times bigger than England. So we kind of get a handle on how big this is going to be. Now, as I mentioned before, Jerusalem is not all of heaven. It's just a city that's in heaven. It's a capital city. And... The Bible says it already exists. Revelation 3.12 says, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So the city exists in what we talked about earlier, the third heaven. It's already there. And the Bible says in the last days it's going to come descend upon earth. Now, I can't imagine how that's going to look, but it's going to be 1,500 miles, this huge thing, just lowering itself onto earth. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. Now remember, God's going to destroy the earth by fire and create a new earth. Once the new earth is created, the city which already exists, God's going to kind of teleport down to earth. Now, once the city gets here, what's it going to be like? Well, it will be a holy city. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21.10, so he took me in, in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Revelation 22.19, if anyone removes any of the words of, his pro, of this prophetic book, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, imagine not only that we'll be perfected, but the place we were at will be perfected as well. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary says this, a holy city in which no lie will ever be uttered in a hundred million years. No evil word will ever be spoken. No shady business deal will ever be discussed. No unclean pictures will ever be seen. No corruption of life will ever be manifest. It will be holy because everyone in it will be holy. Now, we talked about lying before. We talked about, is every lie right? And I use the example, if your wife says to you, does this dress make me look fat? What do you say? You lie. <laughs> well, the Bible says there'll be none of that. Not only will we have perfect bodies, it will make us look great, and we will no, have no need of lying. And that includes all the little white lies that sometimes Christians say. I call them Christian sins because we think it's okay. Because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so we kind of... Well, the Bible says not a lie, not one false statement. No evil word. How many of you ever got stuck in traffic? And the guy in front of you cuts you off. Praise Jesus. Or not. No evil word will ever be spoken. No unclean picture. You can't go anywhere, especially online, without seeing a bad picture. It'll be holy because we'll all be holy. It'll be perfect, like the Garden of Eden. The second thing is it will have gates of pearl. Now, we talked about that earlier. The 12 gates are going to be made of pearl and a single pearl. But if the walls are 1,500 miles high, I got to assume that the gates are 1,500 miles high as well. Can you imagine one big pearl that's 1,500 miles high? Now, think about the formation of a pearl. What does it take for a pearl to form? An oyster has to get an irritant and has to suffer until that thing becomes actually a pearl. And I read one commentary that says this, that the gates might symbolize that to enter the city required pain and suffering on the part of Christ that allowed us to get in. So not only will they be pearl, I believe that they will symbolize that we're able to get in because someone else suffered. The oyster suffered so we can have a pearl. Christ suffered so we can enter in. It will also have foundations of precious stones. Revelation 21, 14 says the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. Now the Bible doesn't, it's not clear 
as to well, whether it was 12 layers of stones or 12 stones along the path or, or various points along the footer, however it's built. It doesn't specify. I tend to think that it's 12 layers, which is most, more logical, 12 tribes, 12 layers. But in either case, can you imagine a beautiful, how many go to a jewelry store? All the things glitter and shine when you walk in, it's beautiful. Can you imagine, I don't know how big these stones are, but they're covered in these stones, these precious stones. Revelation 21:19 says, the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 gems. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Now, the way it's phrased, I tend, I think that kind of supports the twelve layer theory. Each layer is a different stone. As this city drops to earth, we don't know how fast it's going to be, but I imagine it's just going to be enough to slow so everyone can take in the beauty of it. The brilliance and reflection that's going to come from the stones that are on that, that foundation. Now, I, I thought about this. When it comes down, is there going to be a sun to reflect it? Now, remember we talked about there's no night, right? Revelation 21, 23 says, The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Revelation 22, 5, They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for God will give them light. Isaiah 60, verse 19, The sun will, be, will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Now, if you, if you read those, you think that the sun's gone. But it doesn't say that. It just says you're not going to need it because the brightness of God is going to overwhelm and overpass the sun. When I, how many of you wear a Fitbit? In the middle of the night when it's pitch dark, and I turn this on, it lights the way for me. So I can walk back and forth in the bedroom, whatever. In the daylight, it doesn't do anything for me. It does not bright enough. And I think when they're talking about, you're not going to need the sun anymore because the brightness of God is going to be so much more powerful. You're not going to need it. It's still going to be there, but you're not going to need it. In either case, when this comes down, can you imagine the reflection that's going to come off of this beautiful, beautiful base of this building? Flawless light hitting these, these stones made of jewels. Number four, and this is the one we most commonly associate with heaven, there will be streets of gold. Revelation 21, 18. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Revelation 21, 21. The great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, the gold that we have today, even in the most purest form, is not, it's not translucent. You can't see through it. It's solid. Your ring, whatever it is, it's, you, it's opaque. You can't see through it. Can you imagine the beauty of the gold that is, is translucent, that light does not only reflect, reflects off it, but also passes through it, and you're able to see the gold? One commentator says maybe it's because we'll have perfect eyesight that we are able to see gold in a different light. It'll be different than the gold we experience here. It will be luminescent. It will be, as the Bible says, clear as glass. You can see it. You can see through it. 
but it will be translucent, not so much transparent, and you'll be able to see the brilliance of the gold as you see through it. So now we've seen that the city is holy, it's huge, and the gates and footers and foundations are beautifully made out of pearls, precious stones, and gold. What else is in that city? Well, the tree of life is in that city. Revelation 22.2 says, Coursing down from the center of the main street, each, on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit and a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Where else is the tree of life mentioned? Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.9, And the Lord planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. At the center of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What was the tree of life supposed to do? Revelation 3.22 says, Then the Lord God said that people have come as we are, knowing everything both good and evil, as if when they ate the fruit. What if they eat the fruit of the tree of life? Then they will live forever. That's the tree of life. And the wording suggests a single tree on each side. It says on each other river grew a tree, not multiple trees. So there is minimum two trees that we can verify with scripture. Now think about that, there's two trees and the Bible says there's what, 12 different types of fruit. Now we think that's ridiculous because each tree grows its own fruit. But if there's two trees and 12 fruit, each tree is going to grow different types of fruit. And if it's fruit, another indication that we are going to eat while we're in heaven. Because the Bible doesn't say, but we can assume that we eat it because the next verse it says, there's a new crop every month. What happens to the old crop? There's no death in heaven. So we're assuming that we eat the fruit that's on the tree. Now the Bible, this is kind of an aside, the Bible uses the term month. Now we can understand that here, but if it's in heaven and he's using the term month, it seems like we are able to quantify time in heaven. It, it indicates that time will be measured in heaven. If we're looking at every month there's a 12, you know, 12 new fruits or new crop, there must be some kind of measuring of time. Whether we acknowledge it or not, God is using that as as an indication that time will be measured. And the Bible says it also says we can eat the leaves as well. Now the, the word that is used for medicine here is the word therapia or therapeia, from which we get the word therapy. And it appears that the leaves will give us a greater sense of enjoyment and fulfillment while we're there. One commentator says this, it says, it will be heaven's therapy for our ever increasing well-being. So not only will we eat the fruit, that will make us, you know, for, live forever. It will give us ever-increasing well-being. We'll enjoy heaven more and more as we continue to eat the leaves off the tree. The Bible says there's also, number six, a river of life. Revelation 21, or 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Another reference to Jerusalem being a city. Now, is this river mentioned elsewhere? It is. In Psalm 46, 4, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. 
So right now there is a river flowing from God's presence in heaven in Jerusalem that's going to come down at some point. Now, I didn't know this going in, but as I was doing some research, I found that a great number of great cities have rivers associated with them. Cairo has the Nile. Baghdad has the Tigris. Budapest has the Danube. London has the Thames. Paris has the Seine or Seine. Rome has the Tiber. New York has the Hudson. Washington has the Potomac. Pittsburgh has three. The Ohio, Allegheny, and Monongahela. But Jerusalem, being such a main city today, has no river. There's no, it's landlocked. There's no river coming from it. But in heaven, that's going to change. It will now have a river not only through the city, but it starts at God's throne and goes from there. Now, we think about rivers being filled from other tributaries. But in God's house, in, in heaven, the river starts at the throne of God. You ever think about what feeds that river? God just keeps that river flowing. You ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody here been to Niagara Falls? You would think at some point that the falls would be done, right? Okay, that's enough water. The water's running out. It's going to dry up at some point, but it never stops. The water just keeps coming. And that's how the river's going to be from God. It's going to just keep coming with no source other than God himself. And it's a river that is crystal clear that starts at the throne of God and runs through the city. Now, in Pittsburgh, if you're familiar with the city, it used to be Steel Town, if you know that, and there were steel mills built along all the rivers. So at one point, it was really unsafe to get in the water in the city of Pittsburgh. Since then, a lot of them have closed down, and you know, EPAs come in, and they clean up the rivers. And they're still okay, but still people are kind of you know, antsy. They don't like to swim in the river so much. But now, you're going to be in heaven, the water's crystal clear, beautiful, perfect. You ever, and I know Yvonne lives by the, uh, the Susquehanna, real close to the, to the river. And it, imagine walking out in the morning and seeing the river in front of you. Beautiful sight. Imagine what heaven's going to be like, just seeing this beautiful river come out of the throne of God. I, I looked up online, I tried to find images of God, or of heaven that we could show so we can get an idea of it. But to be honest, most of those images are just, well, obviously, are someone else's opinion of what heaven's going to be like. Most of the images I found had a, you know, the staircase and the pearly gates and the things that, you know, we all associate with heaven with St. Peter and all that kind of stuff, which isn't biblical, but people like that image. So I, I just didn't pick an image because there isn't one that we can really give justice to to show what heaven's going to be like. From what we can glean from what God tells us, how many agree it's a place we all want to be, right? We all want to get there at some point. We want to live in that perfect place. But I want to close on a different note. We're excited to get to heaven. But unfortunately, not everyone is going to make it. In fact, Revelation has numerous warnings about not being allowed in to heaven. Revelation 21.7. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 
Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now you read that list, and you know we all fall into those categories at some point. <laughs> Anybody ever told a lie? Yeah. Anyone have a point in your life where you had something more important than God? That's idolatry. You ever been deceitful? We've all been there. We've all fallen into these categories, and if not for Christ, we would not be allowed in. But when we come to Christ, what happens? We ask for forgiveness, and God erases them. God takes all that away. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see liars and murderers and idolaters. What does he see? He sees Jesus. I heard this great analogy once in a sermon that when God looks, since we have Christ living in us, when God looks down, it's as if Jesus were standing right here. And when God looks down, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see sinful me. Jesus said to the apostles who had a great ministry experience, Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's awesome, right? That's what every Christian wants. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The joy that we experience here should not rely on what we accomplish for God. We get satisfaction from that. And these guys did great things. They, you know, they cast out devils. They, you know, they preached the gospel. Jesus, that's great. But you need to receive your joy from heaven. We realize that your name is written in the book of life. Because all that we do, whatever we do, is eventually going to be gone. You know, we think about our jobs here. Well, one day we're all going to retire. One day we're all going to be 80 or 90 years old. Your kids will be grown and gone. Your grandkids will be grown and gone. It'll just be you. Maybe you and your spouse. The joy that we get comes from knowing that when this is over, when all this is gone, because it will be gone at some point, my name is in the guest book of heaven. And God's got a spot reserved for me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus already did for me. And we sang about the goodness of God. You know, the, one of my favorite verses, one of the first verses I memorized was, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. You know, it's easy to think that God died for you when you were a pretty good person. But to think that God died for you when you hated God, you wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Everything you did in your life was strictly for you and you could care less about God. And yet God still died for you. What did Jesus say in the cross? Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That's the goodness of God. That he continued to work in your life. He continued to draw you. Even after you rejected him, you kept rejecting him, you kept blowing him off. And he still drew you. He still drew you until finally God got your attention. And now, now you're saved. Now you know Christ. That's the goodness of God. And heaven 
as we talked about last week, is the reward that Jesus has promised us because of what he's already done. We get in because of what he did. He made the reservation. He paid the price. And now because we've trusted in that, we're able to enter in. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. You know, sometimes we we live in a country that, even though it has struggles and difficulties at times, we still live in a really blessed country. And God has poured his blessing upon each one of us in, in this country, in our lives, our families, in comparison to most of the rest of the world. And sometimes those blessings can draw us away from God. You have so much. We have so many things. We have so many things to do that we kind of forget that God has given them to us. And it's easy to live on what we are able to do for ourselves. If everything we have we think we've worked for or earned, then we really don't need God in our life because we can do it ourselves. But as we said earlier, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything you have that's good, your job, your kids, your house, your car, everything you have, your health, is because God has allowed you either to have the smarts to have your job, the ability to do whatever it is you do for a living, God's given you that ability. And when we sang about the goodness of God, again, that's another aspect that we have to realize. Everything we have is from God. And when God calls us to just be thankful, that's what we're supposed to do. Realize what God has given to us, to me, to you. And heaven is the culmination of a life that we live now. And it's not perfect. We all struggle. We all have issues. But we anticipate what is coming. The Bible says if, if it's for this life only that we live, we're to be pitied more than anybody else. Because of this is all there is. What's to look forward to? What's to be excited about? Maybe you're here this morning and you've, maybe you served God all your life. But maybe you're slacking off a little bit because things are good. Not really need God right now. Healthy, kids are good, job's good. The Bible says that could be gone in a second. Those are all blessings from God. We don't use those to pull away from God. The Bible says the goodness of God brings people to repentance. So we want to realize that everything we have is from God. And so, Lord, we're, we're thankful for what you've given us. Maybe you're here, you've been a Christian just a little bit. And you're just learning more and more about God. The Bible encourages you to to continue to grow. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman doesn't need to be ashamed, but rightly divides a word of truth.
Now that was written to Timothy the preacher, but that is God's word to everybody. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You, you've, you heard about him, you've been in church for a while, you, you know it, but you really haven't asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins and realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible says no man can come to God except through Christ. And you want to be sure that you're going to go to heaven. You want to be sure that you're living under God's blessing. The Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure and you doubt it, you don't know what's going to happen after you die, then you probably don't have a relationship with Christ. Because the Bible says God gives you that assurance when you come to Him. If that last one is you, you don't know Jesus, but you really want to. I want you to raise your hand right now. I'm going to pray with you, introduce you to Christ and have your sins forgiven. For those of you who may be watching this on video, if that's you and you raised your hand, I'm going to pray with you before I pray with our church family. Father, thank you for your word reaching out and touching someone's life who may be listening this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit prompting them, setting them down in front of this video. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit speaking truth to them. And I pray that, God, you would continue to minister to them. Thank you for allowing them to dedicate their life to Christ. And I pray your Holy Spirit continues that walk. This is just the first day they're a newborn baby. And I pray that you would give them the strength and the encouragement to continue on, to be involved in a good church, to get Bible knowledge, to really understand who Christ is in your life. Bless them, Father. And allow this to be the first day of the, the rest of their blessed and encouraged life. Lord, for our family here this morning, I thank you. As we talked about earlier, we thank you for the anticipation we have about one day being with you in heaven in this perfect place, beautiful place that we can't really describe and given enough words to do it justice. But we thank you for that promise you've given us. And we thank you for drawing each one of us to the cross and as we sang at closing, we surrendered all that we have. All that in my life, I think, merited me heaven. I surrender it because I know nothing that I have merits me heaven. So Lord, I just commit myself to you. I pray that you would continue to fill each one of us with your spirit. That the word of God, as the word says, dwell richly in us. And when it does, let it come out in our expression of how we live our life. Thank you for those who are here, those who are at home, those that are growing, and those who are being used by God to reach others who may not know you. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person as we leave today. Go before us, Father, make every crooked way straight, and I pray that you would give each one of us, as we talked about last week, divine appointments. Set us up with someone who needs Jesus. 
and give us the opportunity to share him with them. And now, Father, I commit each person here to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. We will see you Wednesday and the following Sunday and then the Wednesday and then Sunday.